My name is Laura Dawn, and you're listening to episode number 38 of the Psychedelic Leadership Podcast, featuring my conversation with Dr. Dennis McKenna as we explore the intersection between creative thinking and psychedelics. Psychedelics are their tools, really, for learning, tools for helping us learn how to think. You know, and, and that's that's at the core of it. You know, uh, my brother always liked to say psychedelics are dangerous because they give you funny ideas. And so any tool like psychedelics that can help facilitate that creativity is a useful tool because we have a lot to learn about how to use these brains of ours, you know, in ways that are sort of out of the box, and that's what psychedelics are all about. They let you step out of your reference frame temporarily and look at things from a different perspective because it gives you a chance to see connections that you normally don't see. So I think that's what psychedelics can be. You know, cognitive learning tools, essentially, scientific instruments through which we can scan the world. It's almost like, you know, you've heard of augmented reality. (laughs) Well, this is a kind of augmented reality. You know, you can scan a portion of the world and things will pop out that we normally just don't pay attention to. You know, you you said something earlier about, you know, if I take the psychedelics, will it make me a better leader? No, it won't. But it will help you learn how it will help you become a better leader. It's not that it's going to make you, you know, it's going to just open an opportunity for you. But it's not a you, you still have to earn that. You still have to do the work yourself. We are living through a time of rapid change where creative thinking and creative problem solving are now being called the most important skill sets that we can learn to cultivate for the 21st century. And as I've mentioned in past episodes, this is exactly why I'm completing my master's in science in a program called Creativity Studies and Change Leadership. And I'm focusing my entire degree on the intersection between creative problem solving and psychedelics, specifically geared towards leadership development. And since I'm already doing so much research on this topic, I decided to slowly start putting together a book exploring the intersection between creativity and psychedelics. And so I'm starting to interview prominent people with brilliant minds who are pioneers in the psychedelic space who have something to say on this topic. So, of course, I invited the one and only Dr. Dennis McKenna to have a conversation with me specifically focused on creativity and psychedelics that I could use and reference for the book. And since we were already recording it, I also decided to release it as a podcast episode so that you could tune in as well. So in this conversation, you'll also hear a little bit of my own thinking process on this topic, just by the way that I'm framing and asking questions. And I just feel so grateful to be able to sit down with people like Dennis McKenna, where I can put my ideas and my thinking process on the table and then just listen to his perspective and how he's thinking about this topic. 
And it's conversations like this that just have such a huge impact on me and influence the work that I'm doing because I learn so much. And I also interviewed Dennis McKenna all the way back for episode number three of the podcast. And I loved that conversation as well. We got into so many fun topics. So if you haven't yet listened to it, I highly recommend going back and giving it a listen. And in that episode, Dennis was really speaking about this being a time of metamorphosis, which I couldn't agree with more. And as many of us find ourselves way out in the ocean, facing these tidal waves of change, we need to learn how to equip ourselves with the necessary tools in order to navigate these turbulent times more gracefully and successfully. So just like reaching for a surfboard can be an appropriate tool for surfing, we can also reach for cognitive tools like creative thinking and creative problem solving. And the reason I am so passionate about this topic, as we all know, we are collectively facing more complex challenges than ever before. Some scientists even say that we are facing the sixth mass extinction. And in episode number three, there was something that Dennis said that I just loved so much. He said that psychedelics and sacred plant medicines are like the neural transmitters of the Gaian mind telling us to wake up. And I not only believe that psychedelics can help us think more creatively, but I also believe that they can help us reprioritize what's truly important to us. And by us, I mean humanity, that they can help illuminate the path towards living more harmoniously amongst each other and in right relationship with this earth that we all have the profound privilege of living on. And this is exactly what heart-centered leadership is all about. And creative thinking and creative problem solving are essential tools for leadership in this new era. So for those of you who don't know Dennis McKenna, he's the younger brother of the late Terrence McKenna, and he's also author of the book, The Brotherhood of the Screaming Abyss. He has a master's in botany and a PhD in botanical sciences, and has been conducting research in ethnopharmacology for over 40 years. Now, Dennis believes that the entire biospheric community of species is conscious and that it seeks to advance the evolution of consciousness through collaboration and symbiosis, which is a perspective that I find incredibly fascinating. And in 2018, Dennis McKenna founded the McKenna Academy of Natural Philosophy, which explores modern and traditional practices, ideas, and technologies that foster the understanding of nature, consciousness, the cosmos, and their interweavings with humanity. The mission of the Academy is to advance a symbiotic and evolutionary partnership with the entire planetary community of sentient species. That is no small feat. And he says, and I quote, such an alliance will help catalyze a global transformation of human consciousness, creating a new philosophical and ethical paradigm whose values are in harmony with rather than in opposition to the natural order. And so the McKenna Academy provides real-world, scalable approaches to address today's most vexing problems. 
And you know what? As Pema Chodron would say, there's just no time to lose. We all urgently need to wake up. And you can learn more about the work that Dennis and his team are doing at the Academy and the online events that they host at McKenna.Academy. And I'll also include that link in the show notes where you can also find links to my four free playlists for psychedelic journeys and beyond and my free eight-day microdosing course. Now, the good news is that research shows that creativity training works and it's a central aspect of leadership development. And if you have a team who might be interested in a team building offsite, you know, so many teams are working remotely these days. So if you want to bring your whole team together for a retreat in a legal jurisdiction that incorporates creativity training and leadership development, in addition to working with sacred plant medicines in ceremony, please send me an email at support at livefreelauraD.com. And I'm also working on releasing my new retreats website, focusing on psychedelic leadership retreats, and that's going to be rolling out in November. So stay tuned for that. And I'll also be announcing the dates very soon for the next round of my psychedelic leadership mastermind program. All right. Lastly, before we dive into this conversation with Dennis McKenna, if you want to meet up in person, I'd love to invite you to join me at Meet Delic. It's an in-person psychedelic conference happening just around the corner. It's this November 6th and 7th in Las Vegas. And I'll be speaking on a panel on microdosing. And I also have a keynote exploring psychedelics and creative problem solving for the leaders of our time. And if you haven't yet purchased your ticket, you can get 20% off your ticket price by going to meetdelic.com and just use coupon code DAWNNOT, D-A-W-N-N-A-U-T. And that will get you 20% off your ticket. And I'll also include that in the show notes. All right, I'm going to be leaving this episode off with a song called Heal This Land. Oh, how I love this song by the talented and beautiful musician, Tina Malia. And just a brief note about where this conversation with Dennis McKenna starts. We recorded this a few months ago and it was right at the peak of so many fires. Fires were burning in British Columbia, on the big island of Hawaii where 50,000 acres had just burned. There were fires happening all over California. And at that time, there was just this really strong collective sentiment that our world is going up in flames. So as Dennis and I hopped on Zoom to start this conversation, This was just so present for both of us. And so I actually cut out about 20 minutes where we were just talking about all the fires, but I did leave some of it in. And of course it made for a great segue into the urgent need to teach ourselves to think more creatively so that we can solve some of the very complex challenges we now collectively face. All right, without any further ado, here is my conversation with Dr. Dennis McKenna as we explore the intersection between creative thinking and psychedelics. Yay! Hi, Dennis! How are you doing? Oh, you know, just holding space for our collective burning of the planet and this existential crisis, you know, no biggie. (laughs) 
Now that's that's kind of where I'm at with it too, you know. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Uh, hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I actually, I just interviewed a man named James McRae, who is wrote this book full of memes and poetry. And we were talking about creativity and psychedelics as well. And his book is called How to Laugh in Ironic Amusement During Your Next Ex- Existential Crisis, which I think just really epitomizes, you know, hits the nail on the head for me anyways, of just where I'm at. Yeah, I think that hits the nail on the head for sure. Yeah, definitely. Mm-hmm. So uh, yeah. So well, let's dive let's in. Get to it. Yeah, let's I mean, it's such it. a it's such a segue, you know, into this, and this is why this conversation of creativity and psychedelics it feels incredibly important to me and my heart. And just from our email exchanges, I have the sense that, you know, this is a topic that's of interest to you as well. So I kind of just wanted to start there. You know, why do you? feel like and and do you feel like this is the direction of of the conversation in the psychedelic space because right now it's not such a huge focus so why is this topic of of this intersection important to you of, of creativity and psychedelics mm-hmm. specifically well i think i think it's because uh, psychedelics are their tools really for learning i mean they, they and they're the tools for helping us learn how to think, you know, and, and that's that's at the core of it, you know. Uh, my brother always liked to say psychedelics are dangerous because they give you funny ideas, you know, and uh, and so if, you know, and, and so outside a certain uh, segments of people that are open to and interested in funny ideas, new ideas, Funny ideas are often heretical ideas, you know, and uh, and that's why psychedelics are dangerous. Not because the the substances are dangerous, but because they give you dangerous ideas, you know. And if you think about it, there's nothing more dangerous than an idea, you know, uh, than ideas. Basically, I mean, that's what moves empires. That's what moves history. That's what moves every everything along you know and uh, and so any tool like psychedelics that can help facilitate that creativity mm-hmm. is is a useful is a useful tool because we have a lot to learn about how to use these brains of ours you know in ways that are sort of out of the box and that's what psychedelics are all about. They let you step out of your reference frame temporarily and look at things from a different perspective. And I think that's the core of their therapeutic applications, really, is they they provide people with a way to step out of their own reference frame and look at their problems, whatever it might be, you know, depression, addiction, trauma, whatever it is they're dealing with, it can be very useful and therapeutic to step away from that and look at it from arm's length, almost as though you're looking at the existential uh, situation of a different person, you know, even though it's you, but you can have some perspective on that. So I I really think this ability to uh, sort of step away from our usual, what they call now the fancy word is default mode network, 
you know, that's what they talk about in neuroscience. I like a different, I like to characterize it in a different way. I think it, uh, uh, well, it, it's not as academic sounding, but it does get it. And I call it the reality hallucination, you know, and, and the reality hallucination is the artificial world that we construct, this model of reality that we build for ourselves and proceed to inhabit. And it's a creation of our brain that helps make the world comprehensible. Mm-hmm. You know, and a lot of what the brain does is it, 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 it's a filter as much as it is a receptor. You know, of course, we get information about what's going on in, in the outside world through our sensory neural interface, if you will, our eyes and ears, our other sensory receptors. Uh, and we think of this is what brings information about the outside world into our brain so it can process us and so on. But it's important to recognize that only a fraction of what's really going on out there gets through that because a lot of it is not practical, not of immediate practical, you know, utility. I mean, if you're worried about the saber-toothed tiger that's coming to get you, you know, you don't want to be looking at what's happening behind that, even though there's a lot going on. And the thing is, so I think that's something that psychedelics do. They, they bring the background forward. And in some ways, they make you aware of things that are going on in in your outside world, in your, you know, through these sensory, sensory filters that we're more, that we're more or less programmed to suppress or ignore most of the time because they're not, they're seen as not important to the immediate task of survival. That's why choosing your setting and your set for psychedelic experiences is so important because you don't want to have to be preoccupied with that you know you want to find uh, obviously a safe place to have the experience that's well structured that's protected that's comfortable where you can uh, kind of focus your attention on what's going on in the experience you know not you know is somebody going to come knock down my door or or is any any disturbance going to happen it's it's just important to select carefully the environment in which you choose choose to do it okay. and uh you know uh, this this ability to bring the background forward is something that i think you know that it, it's something that we have to learn you know it's a, it's something that we always knew probably before we were kids or when we were kids, you know, I think kids have a much less filtered interface with the world. You know, they're, they're all like little acid freaks, you know, they're like completely open, you know, to what's going on, completely receptive. Well, we've, we have trained ourselves not to be so receptive because we're adults, you know, and we're all buttoned down and we're paying attention to, you know, what is quote unquote important, right? Completely ignoring all the other things that are also important, but, you know, we're not paying attention to them. So psychedelics facilitate this kind of out of the box thinking and, and it's important therapeutically, but it's important creatively too. 
Hmm. Because it gives you a chance to see connections that you normally don't see, you know. And it's not that these are delusions. You know, these are real connections. uh, But we're programmed to ignore them. And so when you open, when you create a situation where you're open to, you know, apprehending those things, then you have an opportunity to come up with not only funny ideas, but great ideas, interesting, new, creative ideas, Mm -hmm. you know. And uh, there's a person in, uh, there's a, a guy who writes, about psilocybin very intelligently. And I think you might know his work, Simon Powell. Hmm. Uh, are you aware of his work at all? I don't he, think I've, I know his work. I'll check him out though. A, yeah, he writes about psilocybin. He's written, uh, I think his first book was called The Psilocybin Solution. And the second one was called something like Darwin's Unfinished Business. And the third, which has been out a couple of years now, I guess, is called the Magic Mushroom Explorer. And in in all of these books, he makes, uh, I mean, he says many very intelligent things, but one of the things that stuck with me is that he has said, you can think of psilocybin as a scientific instrument. You know, it's a lens, just like any scientific instrument that you might turn on the world to get a better look at something, like a microscope or a telescope, these things are just extensions of our senses in a way. They let us have a closer look at things far away or a closer look at things that are very small. So they're extensions of our senses. And psilocybin is like that. It's, it's, it's like a lens through which we can examine natural phenomena uh, and notice things about the way it works that we normally have not paid attention to. Right. You know, and the 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 you know sort of the test of evaluating whether that's valid is you know after the trip, if you think back to the insight that you had or the perception that you had, and it still seems valid, it probably is valid. It's not just something you made up, you know, or a ma- it's not a delusion. Mm-hmm. It's an actual insight into some aspect of reality. And in, in science, this is, uh, you know, this this has been recognized. Uh, you know, for example, uh, Kerry Mullis, uh, <laughs> who is a person, he is a molecular biologist who discovered the uh, PCR reaction, the polymerase chain reaction, for which he won the Nobel Prize. And he was quite, upfront about saying that it was his LSD experiences that helped him come up with that idea, that he could have insights from a kind of molecular point of view about how all this worked. And, you know, he said, let me get down among the molecules and, and see how it was all put together. And then, of course, that was the insight. And then through years and years of work working to verify that and understand that he proved that that was not only valid, but a tremendous uh, expansion of our understanding of how these things work. 
So I think that's what psychedelics can be. You know, cognitive learning tools, essentially, scientific instruments through which we can scan the world. It's almost like, you know, you've heard of augmented reality. <laughs> well, this is a kind of augmented reality. You know, you can sp- scan a portion of the world and things will pop out that we normally just don't pay attention to. Mm-hmm. And that's often where the most interesting things are happening. I, I think, you know, science... Uh, you know, there are other disciplines where acute observation is important, but for scientists, it's almost a requirement to have a sensitivity to phenomena and be able to pay attention and then make sense of what you're what you're experiencing. So it's a great psychedelics are great tools for scientists. As long as uh, along with everybody else, mm-hmm. I want to talk about set and setting in a moment. But you said a couple of things. One of them is this notion of children in lantern consciousness, and as we get older, we step into spotlight consciousness. And mm-hmm. you know, Michael Pollan talked about that in How to Change Your Mind from Alison Gopnik's work. That it's very similar to children. You mentioned. You know, this right. this notion that children have this very, they're very open. And then we have this, what we know as cold searches or hot searches with the brain. The brain is always looking for the lowest hanging fruit. And it gives us access to what's known as hot searches, where the real novel ideas can be, can come out of. And it's interesting because I find that a lot of people sort of discount the 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 notion that oh, you're on psychedelics, you're going to come up with all of these ideas, they're going to be worthless, so therefore it's pointless. But I feel (laughs) like that's discounting, even if, let's say, not like a Nobel Prize idea comes out of it, even if you have all of these different ideas that are wacky and crazy, it's still, I feel like, beneficial in the weeks to come because it really gives us that heightened flexibility for how we look at things. So even if there's not any novel insights, I would like to make the argument that if you have a bunch of wild and crazy ideas that absolutely make no sense, that that is actually there's something to that that could be beneficial there for creative thinking for creative problem solving and i'm, I'm curious your thoughts on that well yes i th- i think so uh it, you know so so you know you, you get a bunch of ideas that may or may not may not make sense but it but it's kind of like putting your mind through these thought exercises you know it's like it's like just get it all out there all this crazy stuff It'll emerge later as you sort out the experience and integrate and so on what seemed to be valid and what didn't seem to be so valid. But it's necessary to do that to to do those exercises to go through it without being too judgmental and not necessarily accepting it, not necessarily rejecting it, just experiencing it. And in the post-session processing. Uh, you know, the ideas or the insights that seem to have value will will manifest and, and it, it will be clear and it will be clear in a, you know, so-called normal state of consciousness if there is such a thing. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think we do this all the time. You don't have to be on a psychedelic to, uh, you know, sort of daydream in a sense or or think in a very loose term about something 
that you're interested in, a problem that you're trying to solve and so on. You know how we often say, you know, I can't figure this out right now, but I'll sleep on it. Mm -hmm. You know, and you're giving yourself the permission to let the unconscious do some of the work. You know, you actually do go sleep on it. Processes go on while that's going on. You're not, you know, you don't have the brakes on trying to control this. You wake up and then you, aha, Eureka, I understand. Right. <laughs> you know, and your your unconscious mind has done a lot of the work and sorted it out for you. And I think that that's, that's what psychedelics can do. And I, I think, you know, the other, uh, while we're mentioning that, I think the other kind of people that are, you know, that, that are more or less in an open state all the time are indigenous people. You know, I think their mindset and their apprehension of the world, particularly if they live deep in nature, you know, and particularly if they're not literate. I mean, we all like literacy, but sometimes literacy is a is another filter, you know. And if, if you just apprehend the world unfiltered as children do and as indigenous people do in, in their environment, uh, I, I think there's more in common with the mindset of a child and the mindset of an indigenous person than there is, you know, between those two and our rigid button down mindset, you know? Uh, Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting because, you know, I'm being trained formally at a master's level in creative problem solving facilitation. And even in master's level, you know, this graduate degree level, when we open up a creative problem solving facilitation process, we still open up with a practice that's very random, like, okay, Mm -hmm. let's brainstorm all the ways to get the elephant out of the tub, for example. And I always think to myself, this is very psychedelic. You know, this is what Mm -hmm. psychedelics do. So it just helps to like shake that neural snow globe and give us permission to defer judgment, which is another big criteria for coming together as groups for creative problem solving. So before we get into set and setting, I just wanted to ask you briefly, when you look at the science, could we make a leap and say that the underlying neural mechanisms for which psychedelics are efficacious for treating depression, would you say we could point to the same underlying neural mechanisms to say that that's what helps us foster creative thinking because we're stepping outside of, let's say, ruminative thinking or compulsive thinking that's very much in a loop. And so we're thinking a new thought, which to me is very parallel to the creative problem solving or creative thinking process. Well, yes, I, th- I think so. I mean, uh, a lot of the uh, things that that psychedelics are, are particularly uh, useful to treat therapeutically are things like depression and addiction and trauma and this sort of thing. And what all these things have to do in common, what they all have in, in common is that they're habitually entrained. They, they have a lot to do with habit, you know, and, and the reason that they're so pernicious is that it's very hard to step out of the that reference frame, you know, but once you can step, once you step out of it, then in a way you've disempowered the hold of this pattern of uh, habitual behaviors 
or habitual beliefs or habitual anything. You know, these these aspects of behavior that you've had have to ex, uh, that you've accepted as sort of built in. You know, to the way you are, the way you think, and and the way you deal with problems, the psychedelics can kind of jolt that loose. You know, and say, well, no, you know, that's not a given. You don't have to accept that. You know, there is another way to look at this, and I think that's that's what is really, uh, you know, what is really the most use the 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 one of the greatest powers that they have is they let you separate yourself from these habitual behaviors that keep us locked in these, you know, behavior patterns like addiction or depression. You can step back on it. You can say, well, wait a minute, that's not me. Hmm. You know, that isn't how I am. That's not how I want to be. So change. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, and then, and then that depends on what you do with that insight, you know, and, and uh, uh, you know, the follow-up is always after the trip is over. How do you integrate that and, and benefit from, from those insights? That's why, you know, in psychedelic therapy, uh, as the paradigms are emerging these days, the integration becomes indispensable, mm-hmm. you know, because otherwise... You just have a memory of something very strange happened to you, but it doesn't fit into the rest of your life, the rest of your reality hallucination, if you will. You know, that's what we do. We construct a a hallucination, uh, which they call the default mode network. It's a model of reality, (laughs) but it's not reality. It's a model of reality. Mm -hmm. And when you have a psychedelic experience, you know, uh, and loosen up those those boundaries somewhat. You know, you're going to come down from the drug. You're going to go back to normal consciousness, but it's a little more expanded this time. You know, because you've had those experiences, so your your boundaries are a bit wider, and your looser your thinking is, you know, freer. <laughs> not not necessarily looser. I, I mean, loose implies confusion it doesn't have to be confused more fluid maybe Mm. is a better way to put it you can think in a more fluid way and uh that's the way it should be yeah you just made me think of this great quote that says that creativity is defined by uh the defeat of habit by originality and I, there I, you go. I love yeah, it. That, That's exactly what you're speaking to. Who said that? I think his name is Arthur Kostler, but I'll, I'll double check that. I'm pretty sure it's, it's oh, like Ar- yeah. Arthur Kostler. Yeah, I know Arthur. An old, old, long time ago. Yeah, he. I wrote uh, The Ghost in the Machine, I think, something like that. Yeah, okay, great. Um, do you think that it's possible to take what we currently know about set and setting to a whole new level to really leverage the psychedelic experience to specifically enhance creative thinking, creative problem solving with set, particularly like priming the mind, potentially preparing in a different way and maybe even integrating in a different way that could really help foster creativity specifically? Uh, yeah, I think so. I mean, I, I see no reason not to, that it can't. You know, people talk about set and setting. Uh, 
uh, and and setting is is kind of obvious. Setting is the setting where you do it. Circumstances. It's going to be different if you're, you know, at a Grateful Dead concert than you are if you're in the middle of the wilderness somewhere. You know, those are going to be important determinants of how your experience is uh, is going to turn out. And they both may be appropriate. You know, I mean, the only thing that probably isn't appropriate is, you know, on the freeway at 70 miles an hour. I mean, this is not an optimal setting. You know, you want to be you want to have choose the the setting carefully, but set to my mind. uh, I, I view set in a broader sense than a lot of people say, well, set is your mindset. Set is the intention that bring to the experience what you expect to get out of it, your your whole, you know, expectation set that you're bringing to the experience. I, I look at it in a broader way. I think set is everything you are. You bring your whole self to the experience. Set is what you are, everything you've learned, what you may know, not only your expectations, but also your own experience and and all that. It's the it's a gestalt package. You are the set, you know, and and you're you may it may be uh, I don't know how, how to put it. It may be different for different experiences, but you're carrying around your set all the time because the set is you. You know, and and so when you say, well, uh, you know, does that prepare you? Yes, I think it does in in the terms of the expansion and the scope of your knowledge. You know, for example, uh, my brother Terrence counseled me before I had taken LSD, when I was a virgin to LSD or any psychedelics. This was a long, long time ago, as you can imagine. But he said, don't take LSD before you've read uh, Psychology and Alchemy by C.G. Young. You know, and I said, what? <laughs> Why should I do that? And, uh, and actually, of course, I ignored him and, and I did take it without reading psychology and alchemy. But once I'd read psychology and alchemy, I understood what he meant. If I'd had that under my belt, I would have been able to appreciate that first experience in a much richer way. And so I think, I and what this speaks to is uh, what you know, you know, or what you think you know, is going to be very determinatively in determining for the direction and the depth of your experience you know i mean if you're a mathematician you know and you're you're working on a particular problem that you're trying to work out you can take a psychedelic you can think of some aspect of your problem in novel ways and maybe get some insights about the problem you're working on but if you've never taken mathematics, that whole realm of experience is close is close to you, you know. So people bring to these experiences what they know, you know, and what they think they know, which is often, uh, you know, they think they know more, much more than they actually do, and I think that's true of anybody. But in other words, the tools you bring to it, like 
you know, I've often, and I, I think people have done this, but I've often thought, you know, it would be very interesting to do like ayahuasca retreats with people in particular specialties, you know, mm. get the computer scientists and do one for them, get mathematicians, physicists, and and of course, I'm, I'm a scientist, so I tend to think in those terms, but, but it applies to any creative activity, mm-hmm. you know, uh, artists and musicians and, uh, you know, and whatever. I think if you can bring people, you know, who uh, are skilled or educated in a certain discipline, if you can bring that group of creative minds together, you know, and mix a little psychedelic in with the with the mix and let them share that experience, incredible things can come out of that. Yes. Well, I'm right there with you, Dennis. I mean, I've been leading retreats for 10 years. And the reason I went back to graduate school to study creativity and leadership was because that's the next round of retreats I want to do, because I really feel that combining creative problem-solving facilitation and ways of bringing people together. You know, when people talk about psychedelics and creativity, it's not like, oh, we're going to solve our problems while we're under the influence, for example. But there are windows of heightened cognitive flexibility in the days after and combining cognitive flexibility tools, creative problem-solving tools leading up to or after. As you said, you know, um, the the mind wandering is such a big part, actually, of the creative process where, you know, we have these the divergent and convergent thinking and where mind wandering. That's why so many people like science and research now shows that we get very few of our best ideas actually sitting and working at our computer. We get our best mm-hmm. ideas in the shower when we're going on walks in nature. This is when the mind is relaxed. And so not necessarily, you know, for people listening like yeah, it's great to to leverage these tools, but it's not like you have to go in with the intention of like, oh, I got to figure this out, you know, in, in the journey. And what you were speaking to with Carrie Mullis, I mean, like you said, you know, your knowledge base is such a prerequisite. It's not like some other random person was likely to discover the the PCR that he won the Nobel Prize for. He's primed for that discovery because he spent so many hours focused on it. And then he went into this, you know, lantern consciousness, mind wandering, divergent thinking with LSD experiences And so, yeah, I think that that this is big, what I'm really excited about and why I'm writing this book on creativity and psychedelics in particular. Yeah, I think uh, uh, I think it was Jacques Monod, if I remember, uh, I don't know about the attribution, but I think it was him who said chance favors the prepared mind, you know, and, and I think that that sums it up in a certain way. You know, uh, you have to have the tools in terms of your training, your, your understanding, to, so that when these things do present themselves, these sort of gifts of insights, you know what to do with it, right. you know, and and, uh, and that's what a lot of us don't have. But we're all we're all gifted in some in some area. Mm-hmm. So I think uh, I think that's the crux of it. You know that uh, you know we can all use. I mean, as you said before, if you go into it with the idea that, well, I have, you know, I'm going to take this psychedelic because I've just got to get this problem figured out and all that, 
no, that's that's the opposite of what you should be doing, you know? I mean, because, I mean, that almost guarantees that you won't get anywhere because actually you're not letting go. You're not stepping out of your reference frame. You're, you're, you're uh, locking yourself into the reference frame. And the point is to put all that away for a temporary time and let the mind play, you mm-hmm. know? If it's not like play you're not doing it right, mm-hmm. you know, and, and I, th- and, you know, you won't get to those creative insights. And we see this again and again in science, you know, uh, uh, you know, curiosity drives science, you know, and a certain childlike approach to understanding the world will get you much further than some kind of, you know, rigid, Formal approach. I mean, I mean, science has got to combine both of those things. You know, I mean, a lot of what science does is construct models of reality, construct models of something you're studying. You know, hypotheses we call this, and and then you test the hypothesis. You know, you actually it becomes a filter. Does the phenomena that I'm observing fit? Does this explain what is going on? And if not, where are the deficiencies? What doesn't it explain? You know, that's one of the reasons I think science, uh, you know, I mean, science gets a lot of bad press these days, but I think science is a very powerful tool for asking questions of nature properly done. It's a tool for asking questions of nature and getting answers back that make sense. Mm-hmm. You know, and and the 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 irony and uh, sort of the the paradox of science is it gets most interesting when your hypothesis stumbles across across when your observations stumble across things that don't fit your hypothesis. You know, that don't make sense, mm-hmm. and then you then you're in that very creative place where you say, okay, either you know, either I'm deluded or there, there's something going on here in this phenomena I'm investigating that my theories don't explain. So we have to revise the theory and upgrade it and expand it. Or sometimes you have to just shit can the theory and start over. And then that's even more exciting. I mean, that rarely happens, but it does happen. You know, if you look at the transition from, say, uh, you know, Newtonian physics to relativistic physics, Mm -hmm. I mean, you know, that was a, you know, that was an instance where the entire conceptual foundation of physics had to be completely rejected Mm -hmm. and replaced with another foundation that on the surface of things seemed much crazier much less you know did not make sense but it explained things that the other one couldn't so grudgingly science accepted relativity quantum mechanics and and all of these things you know and, and the irony of this is though then we we you know our mathematics and our our studies of these things tell us that at a certain level of very uh, you know, at, at very, very small levels of organization, the level of the electron and, and mm-hmm. lower, uh, reality is pretty darn weird. Mm-hmm. You know, it does not intuitively conform to our our experience of it, where reality is, uh, you know, 
pretty pretty steady, pretty strong. You know, uh, I knock on the table and I expect that it's hard. And but then we have our physics telling us world doesn't look anything like you experience it. You know, mm -hmm. uh, so. <laughs> you just have to get used to it, I guess. <laughs> yeah, it's so interesting, too, because when in my experience of psychedelic journeys, especially with ayahuasca, I feel like there's such a parallel between what indigenous cultures call the spirit realm and what science calls the quantum realm. And one of the ways that I think about creativity is this bridge between the unseen dimension with the dimension of what we see. It's the holding of a, an inner vision that no one else can see and transmuting that vision into reality, into this solid 3D reality, which is inherently a magical and alchemical process. And it's what defines us as human beings, which is so just incredible to have that experience and to lean into that experience with psychedelics. And when we hear that, you know, indigenous cultures have called ayahuasca the visionary vine. And, you know, we have these experiences where we have these visions and then those visions may or may not manifest, but sometimes they do manifest. And that is also, to me, the narrative around what creativity is. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, again, whether you're, you're taking psychedelics or not, I think, I think the same thing goes on in the creative process. You know, um, you may have dozens of creative ideas all the time. If you're a creative person or working on a problem, most of them will not make the cut, you know, but one or two is going to rise to the top and say, oh, yeah, that, that clarifies it, that explains something, that, you know, that's valid. And, and that's something where the... Uh, you know where the complementarity of the uh, the expanded psychedelic state, which is which is characterized, I think you said it before, characterized by the the suspended judgment, right? I mean, it's not you know you're not analyzing this; you're just experiencing it. There'll be plenty of time to sort out later whether it was valid, but just to have these open experiences without judging them and then that produces you know content and then you can reflect back on it so so then when you return to normal consciousness to the degree there is such a thing your normal everyday reductive uh mindset you know is complementary to this other state so they work together you know mm -hmm. one you can bounce one off the other in a certain way. Or you can say, well, you know, I've given myself permission to completely get lost in this world of crazy and wild ideas. Mm -hmm. You know, afterwards, then you reflect back and, and you know, you can say, well, okay, that wasn't so not, that wasn't so so good, that idea. But this one here, that seems to have some some value and then you can do whatever you need to do to explore that you know right. so uh i i think uh this ability to and i think we all do it uh unconsciously really but we we inhabit at least two worlds all the time mm -hmm. you know the world of reductionism and real world and 
facts and and you know uh rocks are hard and clouds are soft and all those sorts of those are aspects of reality but then we also inhabit this other world of the mind this reality hallucination <laughs> that we construct and the reality hallucination uh you know however hard we may try to make it emulate the uh you know the real world you know we're separated from the real world we never experience it that directly you know we experience the model of the real world that we that we construct and that model is pliable we can change it mm-hmm. and we can demonstrate that to us simply by taking a psychedelic and then suddenly your model is you know completely fluid right. <laughs> not at all what you thought it was do you think we primarily shape our model through the stories we tell ourselves and the narratives we tell ourselves yeah yeah i do at least yes i do i think that's i don't know how you experience yourself uh, or and and how different it is than uh, from how i experience it ourselves myself but i think i think we do uh uh have a separation between you know uh, i mean it's it's it, you know a separation between our sense of i you know and our sense of you i don't know if that works but works for you but i'm often i often find myself talking to myself as though i were somebody else mm. you know it's like oh you know you should do this you're going to go to the store you're gonna you know do this or that it's sort of like you know one part of me is like this mannequin or this little robot that I'm in the driver's seat and I'm moving it around, you know, making <laughs> it do stuff. And usually there's that separation. And then some, and, and it's really hard to step back and say, well, wait a minute, you know, it's not you that is doing this thing. It's I am doing this thing, mm-hmm. you know, but to own that state of I, to make those decisions and those experiences from that state from the standpoint of whoever's in the driver's seat you know uh it, it's a hard uh, it's a hard habit you know it, it takes some practice to think of it that way i mean i've been doing it all my life and i haven't got it yet <laughs> very easy to separate Hmm. The, you know, the I that's sort of this observer mm-hmm. and the the robot that moves through the world that is, you know, Dennis McKenna's avatar, you know. <laughs> right. Um, because I host the Psychedelic Leadership Podcast, a lot of people and I and I also speak a lot on other people's podcasts. A lot of people ask me these days you know, do you think that psychedelics can make you a better leader? And my response is always something along the lines of like, not necessarily, you know, that these are very, it's almost like I consider psychedelics to be these like Swiss army knives with infinite add-ons that we can use in so many different ways. But when we look Mm -hmm. at the science and the research to show that people do tend to have an increase in empathy, for example, that there seems Mm -hmm. to be some opening there. And so my thought process is that if we leverage those openings, those natural openings and pay more attention to 
let's say, for example, you know, this is where I think about how to incorporate um, frameworks and training into preparation and integration, where it's like, we know that the mind can, then any given moment, we're exposed to so much data, you know, and that we only focus on a pinprick of, of data coming in. So mm-hmm. if we can train the mind and say, hey, pay attention to this quality, this quality of empathy, and we can sort of put our mind awareness on it as an intention, for example, and then we can train the qualities of of how do we train and enhance empathy in our lives to become better leaders, that that combination with, you know, the psychedelic, the set and setting and an educational framework that leverages what we know, that that seems to be a very powerful trinity in my mind. And I'm curious your your thoughts on that thinking process that I'm having about this. Well, you know, I, I think what, one of the things about the psychedelic experience, and, and I think it's a it's a it's commonly made, and I, I don't know if it's a mistake or just a misunderstanding, but there is a temptation to attribute to the psychedelic uh, qualities that really come from within you. There's a certain temptation to disempower disempower yourself you know and this comes up with ayahuasca all the time you know and i'm not sure i'm on a uh, sort of on the fence on this but people will say you know la madre taught me this or la madre said that or you know and it wasn't la madre except that la madre is an aspect of yourself it's a it's a projection of a part of yourself onto the ayahuasca, I think, that is then turning around and looking back at you, and you relate to the, essentially, an aspect of yourself that's always there, but you're not always in touch with it. And it's necessary to externalize this thing in your imagination, to separate it and say, this wisdom, this advice, these insights are coming from ayahuasca. Ayahuasca is telling me these things. No, ayahuasca is facilitating you to understand what you already know. <laughs> you know what I mean? Hmm. How do you feel about that? Is that accurate? Yeah, that's so interesting. I'm so curious. So I, I, I think in a way, okay, so for example, I also talk a lot about microdosing and I say all the time, the, the pill or, you know, whatever you're microdosing isn't the thing that we're talking about. What we're talking about is consciousness. And so that thing is an invitation to show up and get present. And I do question how that fits into the fact that fungi or ayahuasca or peyote have, do do you think that they have their own consciousness? Are we, is our consciousness communicating with that consciousness? Is it all just one thing, you know, are they just facilitating the conversation, as you even said earlier, between I and and you within me, <laughs> you know? Mm-hmm. So so what's your thought you know, about it? Well, I think it's hard to know. Uh, you know, I think it's uh, I think it's difficult to know. I think that uh, that these things do have consciousness, you know, uh, and I'm I'm basically a panpsychist. I, I think that everything has consciousness. I think that consciousness is a property of reality. Consciousness permeates reality at every level, you know. So in a sense, it becomes kind of 
you know, not even meaningful to talk about what's conscious because every everything is conscious in its own way. And I, I'm sure that these plants, these fungi and so on, you know, from their perspective, and if you look at the way that they interact with the world, you know, it looks like intelligent behavior in, in many ways. Uh, so I think they have consciousness, but uh, does a ayahuasca or a peyote plant or a mushroom think like you do probably not you know uh i mean they so i i don't think it's that i think that when you experience that it's opening up a part of yourself that you can't get at any other way in a certain way and it's just more comfortable to look at it uh, and say, well, you know, the wisdom of ayahuasca, this came from the wisdom of ayahuasca. But, it, you know, it, you come at that, you, you arrive at that realization and you, you, you give up a little bit of power. You give up a lot of power, actually, if you could attribute, uh, you know, all of this to, to psychedelics. Mm -hmm. I mean, he's, you know, you, you said something earlier about, you know, if I take the psychedelics, will it make me a better leader? No, it won't. Mm -hmm. But it will help you learn how it will help you become a better leader. It's not that it's going to make you, you mm -hmm. know, it's going to just open an opportunity for you. But it's not a you, you still have to earn that. You still have to do the work yourself, you right. know. So uh, it's a fine distinction but i think it's an important one that you know because a lot of times you know when it comes to psychedelics we don't think about these things in in quite this way and we're all and like all uh you know belief systems uh people can say well you know we should we should emulate indigenous people we should we should practice in the way that they practice using psychedelics but uh fact is we're not indigenous you know and uh we have to we have to interface with psychedelics on our own terms because we're we're not you know we don't have the cultural background we don't have the <laughs> historical background that's not to say that uh, you know, you can't appreciate those traditions and, and even to some extent participate in them, you know, particularly importantly for for sort of uh, constructing the setting, constructing the ritual uh, space for, for these things to go on. Uh, but it's important to recognize that... Uh, uh, you know, we, we have to develop uh, ways of relating to these things that work for us. You right. Know? Which is inherently creative, you know, mm -hmm. that we don't have to, you know, steal or borrow rituals. I mean, there are some rituals that are old and can be traced back to the beginning of time. You know, we're mm -hmm. all in a certain sense indigenous to this earth and we all have some tied to a lineage that practice some form of shamanic practices. Okay. So sure. of course there are some, but then there's also that we're creative humans. And so we can get creative about our rituals, our ceremony, you know, how we choose to engage with these plant medicines. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. No, I think that's healthier, you know, because it, uh, uh, uh you know, it, it requires, uh, a, 
it requires us to make that recognition, you know, that we're deliberately constructing this relationship. And it is a real relationship, you know. I mean, on the I I I even on the evolutionary biological level, you know, psychedelics relate to humans. Uh, well, I've always said, or often said, they're they're symbiotic partners with our species. You know, I mean, this is a true symbiosis. But they, and that's that happens on the biological level, and it also happens on the social and individual level. You know, mm-hmm. so, uh, uh, so, uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Yeah. Um, and, and I want to be mindful of your time. I'm so appreciative of your time. And I just wanted to sort of near the end here with this question, whether you or someone, you know, or your brother, any stories that you have around people having these aha moments or, you know, creative breakthroughs through their relationship with plant medicines or psychedelics? Uh, well, I mean, people have them all the time, uh, as we know, and we can, we can, you know, we can hearken back. Uh, it's, it's a, it's a tough question to answer. I mean, because these, these experiences are so personal, you know, mm-hmm. intensely personal. And a lot of times the insight or whatever does not, uh, necessarily result in any great discovery or anything like that. Uh, uh, it happens on a very personal level, you know, mm-hmm. and they, I, I think on the therapeutic sense, they can help us uh, understand ourselves better. And that's kind of what it's all about, you mm-hmm. know, I mean, and, and, you know, because you could argue that maybe there's nothing besides that, you know, I mean, we mm-hmm. have these experiences and uh, when you think about it, experience is all we have. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, we 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 construct realities out of our experiences, a past, a future, uh, you know, which is based on memory and anticipation, a sense of where we are in space and time. Uh, but these are uh, convenient fictions, you mm-hmm. know. In fact, and that's that's the that's the great power of psychedelics is they give you a chance to uh, recognize for a brief period that this, this is all a fiction and actually there is no separation. There is no, you know, I thou relationship. There is no I, right. Mm -hmm. (laughs) You know, it's all one, Mm -hmm. you know, and, and these, these insights that we have that sound trivial, and, you know, when you articulate it, it just sounds like, you know, uh, just, you know, this is all hippie, hippie dippy stuff. But if you look at the actual content behind those thought, that's actually fairly profound. Mm-hmm. Yeah, on a on a sort of broader level. I mean, when I interviewed uh, Wade Davis, so I know you've been friends with Wade for decades at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. You know, he said, I wouldn't write the way I write or think the way I think or talk the way I talk if it weren't for those experiences being just at the at the gates of awe, you know, at the at the altar of these powerful medicines. And 
you are a brilliant mind. I mean, Terrence was a brilliant mind, you know? So it's like, I, I definitely think that there's this way that psychedelics can really refine our thinking and enhance our thought leadership, Re really on a certain level, you know, our, our thought leadership as human beings. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Wade's absolutely right. You know, and, uh, uh, you know, psychedelics were important in helping him, you know, create his mindset, just, just as they have been for me and for you and everyone that's been involved with psychedelics. But, you know, it's only part of it, right? I mean, mm -hmm. it's a full package. And because we take psychedelics and look into these different realities and so on and, and are more used than maybe most people to stepping outside those boundaries, the way we think about the world, the way we understand the world is very different than somebody that never thinks about these things and that moreover doesn't even want to know about these things, you know, and that works for them, but I feel a little sorry for them because their experience is a bit impoverished in a certain way. I mean, it seems to be true to me that the more you know about, about the world, about the things, and, and, you know, with the caveat that what we, that there may be a distinction between what is possible to know and what we think we know, that's a whole other conversation. But I just think that knowledge, uh, a knowledge-based uh, enriches experience. You know, I mean, just like Terence's uh, advice to me, don't read, don't take LSD before you've read Psychology and Alchemy, mm -hmm. you know, and it may, you know, and had I done that, I mean, I read it later and I could see what he meant, you know, but if you went into the experience with sort of that under your belt and and the kind of, not specifically, but the kind of mindset that you get for that, uh it might, it might have been even richer, you know. <laughs> so so this is why I think it's important to, you know, when you approach these things, to do it very thoughtfully and pay a lot of attention to set and setting, <laughs> you know, because that's going to be determinative of the, of the way it goes and then what you do with that in the integration phase, <laughs> which is not necessarily, I mean, it's a, it's a, uh, you know, the integration phase really is the rest of your life. You know, it's <laughs> not just the afternoon after the trip or the week after the trip. It's what you do when you internalize those ideas and move on, you know, in the process of continuing to be yourself, you know, this unique individual in the world, <laughs> you know, uh, <laughs> and, and you're, experience and career of the world is based on everything you've experienced before that. And that includes your psychedelic experiences. Do you think it's accurate to say that if used with intention, that psychedelics really can help us solve some of the most complex challenges we collectively face as we sit at the gates of this sixth mass human extinction? Well, I think it can help us identify the problems that we face, although you don't really need psychedelics to see what those are, I think it can help you identify solutions to what those might be. Uh, but 
you know, it's one thing to recognize the problem. It's one thing to recognize what the solutions might be. But unless there's a collective will to carry it out, to do something about it, then it's not going to do us any good. You know, this is what concerns me uh, about the current situation. You know, I mean, I, I do think that psychedelics can help us wake up to what's happening which is basically waking up to how out of sync we are with nature and helping us uh, identify what needs to happen. You know, if we're going to get back in sync, it's not simply that everyone takes psychedelics and we suddenly all become enlightened. You know, uh, in the first place, not everybody is going to take psychedelics, you know, and so how do you get to those people? And uh, so, uh, you know, I, I think this, the solutions are are multiple and complex. I think that psychedelics are an important part of it, but I don't think they're the only part. I think that they are, again, learning tools. They can help us think about these things, come up with creative ideas, but then what do you do? You know, the most important work begins after the retreat, right? Mm -hmm. After the session. <laughs> then what? What do you do with what you've learned? <laughs> yep, I wholeheartedly agree. Is there anything else that you'd love to speak to on this topic that we haven't covered that you feel inspired to share? No, <laughs> I think we've covered it pretty well. Okay, great. Yeah. I so yeah. appreciate you, Dennis. You're just such a joy to drop in with and talk to. I, I really appreciate your time and I feel um, just a lot of gratitude for, you know, being on the receiving end of so many elders' wisdom that I I'm just incredibly grateful for your life's work. So thank you. Thank you from the bottom of my heart. Thank you, Laura. Thank you for inviting me. Look forward to the next time. Okay, great. Thank you so much, Dennis. Have a great rest of your day. Okay, you too. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye. -bye. Bye. Hi friend, thank you so much for tuning into another episode of the Psychedelic Leadership Podcast. If you've been enjoying the show, I would so appreciate it if you could go onto iTunes and leave me a review. And please subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. If you'd like to be in touch with me, please feel free to reach out through my website, livefreelauradee.com or send me a message on Instagram at livefreelauradee. D. And if you feel like joining all the fun in Vegas, November 6th and 7th at Meet Delic, you can go to meetdelic.com and get 20% off your ticket by using code DAWNNAUT, D-A-W-N-N-A-U-T. All right, that's all from me for today. I'm going to leave you with this song called Heal This Land by Tina Malia. Once again, my name is Laura Dawn, and you're listening to the Psychedelic Leadership Podcast. Until next time.
me understand Let us walk together Take my hand and we will heal this land Reach for me like the petals of a rose Bloom in its season, gentle and slow My body is the mountain, the ocean, the river The sand and the soil, the life giver So come on now, my friend Speak to me, help me understand Let us walk together Take my hand and we will heal this land We will heal this land. 